Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning. So we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks, and my job today is to wrap this series up and then neatly segue into the Christmas season. And so what I want to do today is look at how the Holy Spirit is in the Christmas story. He's not often talked about in nativity plays, is he? Everyone wants to be Mary or Joseph or an angel. I remember our son, Sam, he was a Polish chef in one nativity play. No idea what that had to do with the Christmas story. But no one talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to propose that there would be no Christmas without the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you've missed the obvious, where with the, with the benefit of hindsight, you kind of think, oh, I can't believe I actually missed that. It was right in front of me. Steve and I were at a vineyard leaders gathering a couple of weeks ago. And some of the sessions were led by Simon Ponsonby. He's just a brilliant theologian and great communicator. And he told this story about a friend of his who, uh, who owns a veterinary practice. And they wrote to Simon and said, Simon, we've got to tell you this story because it got into the Vet Gazette in Northern Ireland. And someone bought into their vet practice these puppies to have their first injection. So they came into reception, they met the nurse at reception, and uh, the nurse was like, can I help you? And they said, yeah, we've bought these puppies and we need them to get their first injections. And she fights back a laugh and walks out. So out comes the vet and the vet holds them and says, so, what you got here then? And they say, well, these are Alsatian puppies and we've just bought them. And he's like, well, where, where did you buy them from? And they said, oh, we bought them out of the back of a van in a supermarket in a car park. And he's like, how much should you pay for them? 200 pounds each, absolute bargain. And he said, well, what have you got? He said, well, they're, they're, they're Alsatian puppies, obviously. But there weren't any papers or documents with them. And the vet said, I'm really sorry to tell you, these are not Alsatian puppies. And they're like, oh, no. Like, well, what are they then? And he said, they are guinea pigs. <laughs> like, seriously? Have they not seen puppies before? Like, surely. Absolutely true story. The Jews weren't expecting a Messiah. <laughs> See what I did there? Seamless. They weren't expecting the Messiah to be a baby. They were expecting to be a king, like this guy that came in massive power, transformed the world. But they weren't expecting him to, a bit, to be a baby. And we can look back now with hindsight and we can say, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, all the prophetic words that were spoken throughout the whole of the Old Testament, it was obvious that the Messiah was going to come as a baby and he was going to be born in, in Nazareth, in Bethlehem. Um, and we, I, what, I want you, what I want to show you is that the role of the Holy Spirit actually is obvious, even though we might not see it. The, whole, the, the Holy Spirit, is, he kind of like threads throughout the whole narrative of the Bible. And sometimes we can treat the Holy Spirit as if he magically appeared like a genie in the book of Acts 
and then vanished just after the early church was established. But the Holy Spirit was mentioned in the very first, first verse of the, of the Bible. He was there right at the beginning. It says right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And he was there throughout the whole of the Old Testament, giving clues and prophesying as to who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. Isaiah 7:14 it says, The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which mean God, means God's with us. The Holy Spirit, is, is, he's not the main character in the Christmas story. His main role is always to point to Jesus. J.I. Packer, who's an Anglican minister, he was one day, he was preaching a sermon on the Holy Spirit, and he was looking for a good illustration uh, on the way to preach, and he saw this floodlight, and it was dark at night, and then, then he suddenly saw this floodlight lighting up the, this old building, which in the daytime didn't look very special, but at night looked stunning and looked beautiful, and he suddenly realized that he couldn't even tell where the floodlight was. And he says, I couldn't even tell because the job of the floodlight is not to call attention to itself. The job of the floodlight is to throw into, into relief the beauty and the magnificence of the thing that it's flooding. And he said, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. To say not, not to say, look at me, look at my power, look at my joy. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, look at Jesus. Look at the beauty of what he's done. And he does this throughout the whole narrative of the Christmas story as well. We've, we've mentioned already one of the prophecies that was inspired by the Holy Spirit but about Jesus in the Old Testament. But did you know that there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament? 300. Peter Stoner in his book Science Speaks, he calculated the chance of any person fulfilling these prophecies to be one, and I think that's right in saying, one in a hundred quadrillion. The chances of one person fulfilling all 300 of those prophecies. It's quite incredible, isn't it? That can't be a coincidence. I'd really encourage you, if you've um, got questions about the scientific proof about Jesus, or um, just is the Bible authentically real, there's a, a brilliant book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And Josh McDowell, he was an agnostic who, who was challenged to intellectually research the Christian faith. And then he just discovered compelling and overwhelming evidence for the reliability of the Bible and the person of Jesus. And it's just such a great resource. If you've got friends that are atheists or agnostics that you know, just really want to look into, is it actually true? It's a really, really, really good resource to have. So, as well as all the prophecies about the coming Messiah, where is the Holy Spirit in the miracle of the in incarnation? Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, pays close attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in, in, in his gospel. Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is, dedicated, is the most detailed out of all the gospels, and he highlights the Holy Spirit's activity in the lives of five people in the first two chapters. We haven't got the time to read the whole of Luke 1 and 2, but I'd really encourage you to read it over this next month and look for the Holy Spirit. 
we've been having Advent readings on Instagram. Has anybody been following that, them on Instagram? And they'll carry on um, up until Christmas, and they tell some of the background stories leading up to Jesus' birth. So there are five characters in the first two chapters of Luke who encounter the Holy Spirit. And they are Zachariah, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Mary, and Simeon. The Holy Spirit is woven throughout the story of John the Baptist's family to start with. An angel appears to his father Zachariah in the temple and tells him that the son his wife Elizabeth was to bear would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So John the Baptist's anointing and his message were to come right from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Imagine being anointed for that task right from birth. Zachariah didn't believe the angel and he asked for a sign and so he was stricken silent, unable to speak. And then when John was born, the custom of the day was to name your son after the father. But as soon as Zachariah wrote down that his name was to be John, his speech was restored and Luke tells us that Zachariah was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And he was filled, to the, filled by the Spirit to prophesy about his son but also about the coming Messiah. But I wonder if we might read this next account in its entirety, but I'm going to need my little team of helpers up here. So can we welcome up Karen, Holly, Alicia, and Benji? You'll have to share them between you. So Luke 1, verses 26 to 56. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this would mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said... But how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, The Holy Spirit will fall upon you and Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth, Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, saying, This is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Afterward, Mary arose and hurried off to the hill country of Judea in the village where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the moment she heard Mary's voice, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked, and suddenly Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. 
With a loud voice, she prophesied with power. Mary, you are a woman given the highest favor and privilege above all others. For your child is destined to bring God great delight. How did I deserve such a remarkable honor to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me? The moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced inside me with ecstatic joy. Great favor is upon you, for you have believed every word spoken to you from the Lord. And Mary sang this song. My soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy over my life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all his godly lovers from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows through him to scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princess, he, princes, he tears from their thrones and he lifts up the lowly to take their place. Those who hunger for him will always be filled, but the smug and the self-satisfied he will send away empty because he can never forget to show mercy. He has helped his chosen servant Israel, keeping his promises to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Before going home, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. Very good, very good. Bit disappointed that Mary didn't sing her response. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you spot the Holy Spirit at all throughout that narrative? Some commentaries say that it was possible that it was when Mary went to Elizabeth's house that Jesus was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit at that point. And that a fascinating fact is that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in Hebron. And this is where the promise was given to Isaac, where circumcision was, initiated, was instituted. Abraham had his first uh, land there and David was first crowned there. And it's apparently where four couples, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah, and possibly even Adam and Eve were buried. And commentators therefore think that the promises given to the patriarchs many, many years before began to be fulfilled by the conception of the Messiah taking place in the same place. It's amazing, isn't it? I've never noticed that. I always thought that it was when, the Holy, when, when Gabriel spoke to Mary. But there's no mention of her, him actually being conceived at that point. It, it, and the commentators actually suggest that it was when she went to Elizabeth's house that that was when the Holy Spirit came upon her. I love these kind of random insights where you see the whole picture of the promise and then the fulfillment in Scripture. So quite apart from what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of Mary and Joseph in preparation for the Messiah's birth, he was working more widely to ensure that the birth would be understood in all of its wonder. As Luke directs this to Mary and the promise of the child she'd bear, it's there that we're brought face to face with the Spirit and his role in the incarnation. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and Nazareth to announce to her that she would bear a son, he would be unique both in who he was and in how he was conceived. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will fall upon you and Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. It's quite an incredible statement, isn't it? Jesus is the Son of God, and yet he was born of Mary. And we call this the incarnation, the fact that Jesus at his birth, he was fully God and fully man. 
And this is only possible because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There are, there are just three options for how Jesus could come into the world. He could have had a human mother and a human father, but then he wouldn't have been God. He could have come into the world with no human parents at all, but then he wouldn't have been human. The only way for Jesus to come into our world as fully human and fully God was to have a human mother, but God as his father. And so God worked the miracle of the virgin birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what a pivotal role he had in the story. Luke mentions one other action that took place on the Spirit's part, that took place uh, just after um, Jesus had been born. And it happened when Mary and Joseph took their newborn son to Jerusalem for the purification rites demanded by the law of Moses. And in Luke chapter 2, it says this, In Jerusalem at the time... There was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. The Holy, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple. As the parents of the child, Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law. Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. And then he began to prophesy about Jesus. So you can see in all of these individuals' encounters with the Holy Spirit, there are all sorts of things that the Holy Spirit empowered them to do. He guided them. He strengthened them. He was upon them in power. He, he enabled them to prophesy about the future. But also in all of these events, the Holy Spirit acted in a way that showed he was content to be in the background. In every aspect of the words that he spoke through, Elizabeth, Zachariah, Simeon, their focus was on Jesus as the promised Christ. And even Mary, the Holy Spirit was delighted for her to focus on the unborn Christ and not on him as the one who would join the eternal son to an unfertilized egg in her body. And in all of this, the Holy Spirit's um, actions are consistent with his way of working. Although he's co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Son, and he's always enjoyed this mutuality of the unique communion within the Godhead. It's his pleasure to draw the attention of all creation to the one who came to bring redemption. And in that sense, he's got no desire to take center stage in the Christmas, story, in the Christmas narrative. But without his involvement, there would be no Christmas. Before we come down to land and we're, we're going to take communion together, there was a couple of things in particular that I wanted to draw your attention to. I, I really believe the Holy Spirit highlighted to me, particularly in this passage about Mary, and the first is that God doesn't necessarily choose the shiny, important people. We read in verse 48 that Mary just says, For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. I love that. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. Mary, she was young, poor, and female. And these qualities, particularly back in those days, made her unsuitable in the eyes of her people to be used mightily of God. Mary would have been around 15 or 16 at the time. Some commentaries say that she could have even been as young as 12 or 13. But God shows us that even if we're small and poor in our own eyes, we're valuable to God. And he cares about them. Mary wasn't a queen. She wasn't nobility. But God chose her to bear his only son. It's quite incredible. I wonder if... You ever feel insignificant, whether you've, you're looking for a job or you're in a job or you just think, I'm not really going to amount to much here. Or maybe you just feel like God would never be able to use you because of your past. 
you're too kind of blemished, you're too stained? Or do you ever compare yourself to others and think that they're better than you? I was walking to work last week and I saw a crumpled up bit of paper on the pavement in front of me. But as I stooped down to pick it up, I realized that it was a 20 pound note. I'm not going to tell you which road I am. I was on before you start compla complaining it was yours. Um, but I felt like it was a message for us today. And then there might be people here that, who might feel a bit crumpled up, a bit useless, like you've forgotten your worth. But the reality is, is that a 20 pound note is still worth 20 pounds, no matter what state it's in. You can still go to the corner shop here and it's still exactly the same as if it was crisp and shiny. It's got exactly the same worth. And I just want to encourage you today that God sees you. He still chooses you, even if you might feel a bit crumpled. God will often use the most unlikely candidates to serve him. He knows each one of us aren't nice, crisp, shiny notes. He knows that we might have been a bit messed up by life. We might have been a bit stamped on. I don't know how many people actually walked over that 20-pound note before I picked it up. But we, he sees us, and we are so valuable to him. The main thing he's looking for, and this is my second point, that God saw Mary's trust in him. He saw that she was obedient. He saw that she was going to do what was asked of her. And he knew that she would willingly serve him in one of the most important callings ever given to a human being. And the main thing he's looking for is people that will trust him and obey him regardless of the cost. Mary's response to this just ridiculous proclamation of the, of the angel, I, I, just, I mean, who, what would your response be? 12, 13, 14-year-old girl just being pronounced that you're going to um, have a baby. And she just says this, as his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. She had so much trust and faith in God that he knew what he was doing. And this is such a challenge for us. God is looking for people who really trust him, who are willing to obey him whatever he asks, whatever it costs them. Although Mary was seen, and she's, she is still seen to be the most favored of women, it really cost her. I believe God's main love language is faith and trust in him. It says in Hebrews 11, it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Just throughout the whole of, Bi of the Bible, he's just looking for people who's going to say, I'm going to trust you, even though I don't see the next step. And I guess I, I, I get the sense this morning there might be some of you that God is asking you to take the next risky step and trust him this morning. You, you might not see the whole path ahead of you. Do you remember the old um, Raiders of the Lost Ark film with Harrison Ford? And he's um, about to cross the chasm. And it's just a complete drop. But he knows that he's got to take that first step. And it's not until he takes that first step that the step appears underneath him. And I, I just feel like there's people here this morning that God, you know that God is asking you to take the next step but you don't know what that looks like, or you don't know, you don't quite have the ability to trust that he's going to catch you, he's going to be there, be there for you. And this is your choice. This is your choice whether you choose to trust him, and that's the invitation that we have this morning.
And so as we have a time of communion now, we're just going to use this time to reflect and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. He laid aside his glory and he became a baby. And then he suffered and died on our behalf. And that's what we're going to do when we take communion and we take the bread and we drink the wine and we, we remember what it cost him. And how we do it here at Vineyard 61 is we, anyone is welcome to take communion if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great time to become a follower of Jesus. This life is all about sacrifice and surrender. And we're just surrendering and just saying, God, would you take control again? We just ask for his complete forgiveness as we, as we take that step. And so when you're ready, just come to one of the stations um, at the front. And what we do is just like grab a bit of the bread, dip it in the, in the juice, and then go back to your seats. And we're going to have a bit of time of worship and just reflect on some of those things that God may be asking you. May, my It might be that you feel like this crumpled up piece of um, paper that's actually still worth 20 pounds. And just use that time to come and remember all that God's done for you. It's not, it's not up to us how shiny we are. We can make, be made completely new as we take communion this morning. So in your own time, come, um, come up the front and take that. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.